chances are, if you're over 30, which almost everybody here is, you have at some point in your life worked for, and I apologize, but these are appropriate terms, you have worked for an idiot or a jerk. Occasionally, if you're really unlucky, you will work for a jerk who's also an idiot. This probably isn't the business owner because those types of people don't tend to last long in business, but for some strange reason, they do tend to make it into lower management. And then you have to work for people who don't seem to know what they're doing. I'm not sure why this is in private enterprise that people who are beyond their means uh, mentally capably get into lower management positions where they're above people. But I know why it was in the army. I know why this happened in the army. In the army, I don't know about the other branches, not talking for them, but in the army, there were a lot of guys who were, they weren't the bottom of the barrel but they were one or two steps up from the bottom of the barrel, and they knew they weren't going to be very successful back in the real world, so they would just re-enlist in the army. And if you stay in the army, and you're not absolute bottom of the barrel, eventually, eventually, you will make sergeant. And then you're in charge of people who have just enlisted, who are maybe more intelligent than you are. And that's a difficult position to be in where the person who's giving you the orders isn't all that good at it. Now, when, I'm, when I say idiot, I'm not necessarily meaning someone who's low IQ, although that could apply. But it also means somebody who's in over their head and doesn't have the experience or the training to do the job correctly. They've gotten promoted to one step above their proficiency, and that's where they'll probably sit. As is so often the case, when people who are maybe new to being in charge make a serious blunder, what they do is they look around for someone to blame it on. And it's probably someone beneath them whom they don't really like that much. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Not too many. A few hands. Some people are a little shy about raising their hand on that one. A lot of times people have worked for someone who is not competent as a supervisor. I once had a job where I was, and I'm not bragging about this, but I was usually top dog on performance. My position was entry level, but I was usually top dog on performance within our city probably three months out of four. And I was usually top dog on performance for the region, like uh, about a quarter of the state. About one to two times a month, I would have the best numbers. Well, eventually... I got a boss who was promoted to be the department manager above me. And she was promoted to that position for the main reason that she was married to the district supervisor. At one point, after she had made yet another really 
bad decision, at least in my view. I went into the office, and mind you, I was in my 20s. I went into the office, and I let her have it. I told her exactly what I thought of her abilities in that job. I told her exactly why I thought everything she was doing was not very smart and was counteract, uh, counter, like, counterproductive. Thank you. I couldn't think of the word all of a sudden. Counterproductive to what we were trying to accomplish. And after I told that, I walked out the door, shutting the door a little bit forcefully, and I strode down the hall and away. And I felt kind of good about that for about 20 seconds. I got about 40 feet before two things dawned on me. Number one, this was completely unacceptable behavior for someone who openly followed Christ. And number two, I was pretty stupid and going to get myself fired. So 20 seconds after that, I walked back in and completely apologized for everything I had just said and told her that I had absolutely no business speaking to her in that way. And somehow, I no longer felt as good as I had felt about it less than a minute earlier. You see, no matter how bad a person is who's in charge of you, no matter how monotonous the task, no matter how beneath us, and I put that in quotation marks, the work would seem to be we are called to a certain level of behavior and respect. And the way that I had been behaving was not up to that level. There's a very clear reason for this that we'll go into in a couple of minutes. But let's look at one of the main scriptures about this concept first. We're going to go to Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. Colossians 3, 22 through 24. Now that says slaves, my says bond servants. I'm using the ESV. Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, when I had first uh, started writing this sermon, I was only going to use verses 23 and 24, partially because verse 22 uses the terms bondservants or type of slave and masters. Most of us, probably all of us, have never been in that situation where we would have those terms apply to us. And when people don't feel that something matches their situation, we can tend to dismiss the instructions as, well, that doesn't apply to me, I'm not in that situation. But here's the thing. When Paul was writing this, he was writing to people who were in worse situations than we are in. 
as far as their work. Not better, worse. If anything, what he had to say to the Christians of Colossae applies even more to us. Not less. You might say, well, I'm not a slave, I'm not a master, doesn't apply to me. It applies to you more. Because those were even worse situations. Why? Because we can quit. We can quit. If a job is so incredibly bad that we cannot bring ourselves to act in this manner while we're doing it, we have every single day the option of quitting it and going to find another one. Now, people might have lots of reasons why they say, that. well, that would be difficult. Difficult, yes. Impossible, no. And of course, there are exceptions to this. When you're in the military, you can't just say, this job stinks, I quit, I'm going home. It doesn't work that way. But generally, it applies. There's a meme that I've seen which is both pretty funny and also pretty accurate about how a lot of things are done by a lot of workers in this day and age. And in fact, it's been this way for quite some time. I would say probably as long as there have been employees and bosses. And the meme is this. Boss, why aren't you working? Me. I didn't see you coming. In our society today, there is this concept of quiet quitting. When a person feels that they're not getting treated or paid what they are worth, then they'll simply slow down what they're doing until they're virtually just showing up, being there for the required hours, working at the bare minimum if someone is watching them, and maybe not at all if someone isn't watching them. This concept is entirely unchristian. It is unacceptable behavior for the person who follows the one who washed the feet of those who would abandon him. This passage and other similar ones call us to do our utmost even in a job which the world would look at as undignified, even for a person who nearly everyone would agree is unworthy of such benefit. I've had people say to me, that person isn't worth my effort. And maybe they're right. But why should we be doing such for someone who doesn't deserve it? Because we don't work for them. We work for God. And when we work for God, we should be doing our absolute best as long as we are doing it. There are several reasons that we should do this. The first is that by doing excellent work in undesirable circumstances, we shine as a light for Christ. If people know that we are Christians and they see us being willing to do the jobs no one else will do and do them with excellence, it reflects well upon Christ. Conversely, the opposite is also true. 
If we're seen to be slipshod or lazy, and then are claiming to be followers of Christ, how would that reflect upon how people see Jesus in their eyes by looking at us? The answer is pretty obvious. But there's another and possibly greater aspect of doing this, and it's, it's just flat out awesome. There's an aspect of what we do when we do undignified work for an undignified person with excellence. By doing this, by working beyond expectations in a task that is beneath your talents or your worldly status, you can change the entire meaning of what you're doing. You can turn a trivial, meaningless, undesirable task into a fantastic act of worship. Worship. You can take the job of cleaning toilets and turn it into something that is on par with singing praises to God in church on Sunday when you're doing it with your whole heart. Instead of this being a resentment-filled task which you avoid or do poorly and then complain about it afterward, you can transform every aspect of it into worship. The third reason is much less important. And it doesn't always happen. I'm going to tell you that right now. But we should recognize it anyway because it does happen sometimes. A portion of the time, not always. Okay? I understand when this has not happened, it's, it's sometimes not happened for me. But a portion of the time, when we go above and beyond, we are rewarded for our efforts in that job. It may not be immediate, and it may not be your direct supervisor, but if you are shining bright, there is a decent chance that someone with competence above you in the chain of command will see this, and you will be advanced in your work because of your efforts. Beyond that, however, is when we aren't. Because sometimes you will be doing the best job ever. And nobody is going to take notice of it. In fact, you might work for someone who is so incompetent and so low in integrity that they are intimidated by someone who shines bright. They might be afraid of you outshining them. And so they actually make life worse for you because you're doing an outstanding job. This happens. I understand that it happens. And when that happens, understand this. When Paul penned these words, everyone knew that a slave could not inherit from their master. It was Roman law. Slaves don't inherit. And he starts talking about getting your inheritance. 
And what is he talking about there? He told them that their inheritance would come from the Lord. You might not be promoted or recognized for your good work, but you will be rewarded for it. Maybe not for a little while. Jesus, let's talk about Jesus for just a couple minutes. Jesus walked around Galilee for quite a while before he really started his public ministry. He was walking around and talking with people. He did this for the purpose of letting people get to know what he was all about and getting to know who they were. He was walking around and he was talking about different things, but he really hadn't got started in his ministry too much yet. He was just kind of introducing himself to the people. We read some passages which, if we were to take these passages completely by themselves and not look at any others, they could look like and give us the wrong impression. For instance, the calling of the first disciples at the beginning of Matthew looks like an introduction. This is the first time he's met them. Matthew 4, verses 18 through 20. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. When we look at this, if we only look at this, it would seem like some strange guy walks up and with a few words, career fishermen just drop everything and decide to alter nearly every aspect of their lives at the drop of a hat. But if we look at the first chapter of John, we can see that Andrew, Peter's brother, he was already a disciple of John the Baptist, looking for the Messiah. And he was there when Jesus was immersed by John. And Andrew had already learned about Jesus, heard Jesus teach, went and spoke with Jesus, followed him, and got training from Jesus about what Jesus was there for. Quite a bit before that meeting at the Sea of Galilee. He had also gone and shared all of this with his brother Peter. They were already looking for the Messiah. Andrew hears about, hears John say, that's the guy. And he goes and follows him and starts learning from him. Before Jesus comes up on that, when they're fishing and says, Come and I'll make you fishers of men. And you will note that while it says that they dropped everything and followed him, throughout the rest of the Gospels, there are many places where they can be seen doing their day jobs, as you might call it. 
in several different places. They're out fishing, out in their boats, doing the things that they were doing before they were called. They were frequently still doing it. What had changed for the most part was that their profession, being fishermen, was now their second job, not their first. Their first job was to seek people and bring them to Christ. The fishing gig, that had just become kind of a side hustle to pay the bills. And so it should be with us. Our day profession isn't something that most of us are simply going to walk away from on a permanent basis. But it's going to change drastically in what our mindset should be about our day job. It's no longer the focus of our entire person. A lot of times people, especially men, they get their identity from what they do for a living. We should get our definition from something other than what we do for a paycheck. Once we receive the call, we put down our nets, so to speak, in that our job is no longer an end unto itself. It becomes a tool that we are using to do what we are genuinely called for, which is following Christ and leading other people to Him also. Now, a few caveats to this entire concept. I don't think that anyone has to allow themselves to be unfairly taken advantage of in the workplace. Being a Christian doesn't mean being a doormat. Because as I said earlier, we have this magic ability that those slaves did not have. We can quit. Sometimes we should quit. Last year, a friend of mine, this was reported to me through her father, a friend of mine was uh, working a job as an engineer for a company, and she was literally working above her pay grade. She was working, doing, and designing things that were at this pay level while she was at this pay level. And they had been having her do stuff and really not paying her what she was supposed to be getting paid. So she went to them and said, um, hey, I'm doing this level work. I would like to get promoted to that level and I would like this much of a pay raise. And her boss, not so politely, declined. So a week later, she walked in the door and put down a resignation because two other companies had given her offers for positions paying significantly higher than what she had asked him for. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is perfectly acceptable behavior for a Christian. I believe, however that we must remain respectful and hardworking the entire time that we're there. Just because you've put in your notice 
doesn't mean that you cease to be a stellar employee of God. And full disclosure, I have not always been that good at this. And lastly, we have to make sure that we're doing this for the correct reasons and the correct mindset. It's all too easy for a Christian to slip into the thought pattern of doing something because we're supposed to do it that way. Like, okay, I'm going to be a good employee because I know I'm supposed to as a Christian. The preacher just gave us a sermon about I'm supposed to be a good employee, so I guess if I have to, I'll do that. And we make sure that everybody understands that that's why we're doing it. Not because they deserve it, but because we work for God and not them. First Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You can be doing stellar work and still make people not want to be around you because of the attitude in which you are doing that stellar work. When we do something because we're doing it for God, even our attitude about how we're doing it should be for God and submitted to God. We're not to be putting in any backdoor disrespect to that guy or gal who you're still making sure that they understand that they're not worth the effort that you're putting in. We work for God. That means 100%. We give when we're doing our work because we're giving for Him. And we love because He first loved us. Let's pray. Father God, thank You so much for the fact that we are so blessed that we live in a country, an area where we can be wealthier than almost everyone of all time. Lord, sometimes we're called to do things that are unpleasant. Sometimes we're called to work for people that are unpleasant. Help us keep our minds and our hearts focused on the truth, and that is that we work for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are here today and you have not accepted that call, 
You have not given your life to Jesus Christ to have Him be your boss. That I encourage you to do so today. If you don't know what that entails, you can just you can talk with me after church. If you do know what that entails, I encourage you to come forward today. Confess the name of Christ. Repent of your past sins and be immersed into Him. Please stand as we sing.